Well, God, I pray today that we would even begin to understand your grace. We would understand that uh, life isn't fair. And God, we thank you for the fact that life isn't fair. We don't get what we deserve. We get what you give. And so today I pray that we would understand uh, just exactly what that means, that it's we listen to your word, that you speak to us, that your spirit would convict us, God, that we would understand that there is nothing, nothing we can do to earn your grace, but you freely give it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, um, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and uh, there's going to be a number of things we're going to look at as we dig in and understand that I think is going to attack your maybe belief in entitlement, attack your belief that maybe you can do something to earn God's grace and God's fairness. Really, in reality, what we want to see is, is, is that God's grace is given to all. And so this parable is commonly referred to as the workers in the vineyard uh, and is a parable of God's grace. Um, I, I've heard it said, and really I kind of put it into my perspective. We've been uh, playing baseball, or I've been coaching baseball now for my son since he was four, um, and we decided to step up this year and to play better competition. Um, as a result of playing better competition, we got absolutely manhandled this weekend. Um, we lost 18 nothing, 16 nothing and 15 to 4. So our boys are learning something about getting your tails whooped um, <laughs> in reality. And that's last year, we kind of put it to everybody else uh, because we were playing lower level. We decided to take it up a level and we got absolutely torqued. Um, so uh, anyways, I, the reason why I bring that up is this. I have heard it, you know, we're talking about this workers in the vineyard thing in a parable of God's grace, but I've also really heard it compared to, and, and really in my mind, this, this resonated with me, this parable that really contradicts um, or, or, or confirms this idea of every kid gets a trophy parable, all right? There, what we're going to look at as we dig into this parable, as we see what's going on, is life isn't necessarily fair, all right? And Jesus isn't fair. And what we have to begin to understand is this. We should be thankful that God is not fair, okay? We have a mentality in humanity that things should be fair. We ought to level the playing field for everybody and things like that. But the reality is, as we've walked through life, is life fair in every situation to you? No. You lose a loved one at a time you never wanted to lose a loved one. You're diagnosed with a cancer or a disease when you never expected to be diagnosed with that. Maybe somebody dies as a result of a car wreck when they're young or little. I, I think about things like that. What, what is it that drives that? Why is a child diagnosed with cancer at such a young age and dead before the age of two? Why does somebody die? Matter of fact, not too long ago, we had a friend who lost a, a, a young one, what was it, 15 months old in their sleep. Uh, I recently, a, a buddy that used to go to our church when we were in Springfield, he's gotten out of church and stuff like that. We're friends on Facebook, but I saw his uh, sister just lost, he lost his nephew um, this week. Went to bed, 18 months old, or eight months old, woke up, they woke up and he was dead. Um, and, and there are things like that you begin to go, well, life's not fair, what, what's going on? And so for many, this parable is one of the least favorite 
especially in the realm of church, especially in the realm of if you've been serving in the church for a long amount of time, because the reality is life isn't fair. And what Jesus really wants to do is to get beyond our idea of fairness, because our idea of fairness is usually influenced by our own circumstances. In other words, what we classify as fair may be unfair to somebody else. And so we classify fairness based upon our own circumstances and our own opinions about what we feel we deserve versus what we feel others deserve. Do you get that mentality? You get that picture, right? A lot of times fairness is based upon that, what I feel like I deserve, which is an entitlement mentality versus what I feel like others deserve, which is really a judgment or a justice mentality. So we're going to dig into this section of scripture today, I hope, in order to to point us in the right direction, because the truth is the actions of this landowner are all kinds of crazy in the realm of fairness. They make no sense to us from an economic standpoint. And so we're going to dig in and and look at that. And remember, I want you to remember this as we jump into this. A parable is, excuse me, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So in other words, Jesus is trying to use something that people would understand in an earthly sense to teach them a heavenly or kingdom mentality, all right? A kingdom truth. So he's laying this parable out. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse one. We're gonna read the first seven verses. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen ahead or you can grab the Bible in front of you. You may not understand it, especially if you're young since it's King James. So I'll just throw that out there, all right? We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna work on doing something about that. So anyways, 20, verse one, starting in verse one, listen to what he says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a what? A landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to, the par- to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. You have to understand that the, the average wage for a day's salary or a day's wage for that person would be a denarius. So he goes out to the, to the, to the marketplace. He goes out to the point in the, early in the morning to hire workers for his harvest, to work in his vineyard, all right? And he says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour, He went out and he sent others or saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. If you like to circle and highlight, I would encourage you to circle that word nothing. And we're going to get to there here in just a second. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they said, because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So we're gonna pause there. We're gonna read the rest of it here in just a second. But I want you to understand what's going on. Everyone wants life to be fair. In reality, we all want in some way, shape, or form life to be fair. If I was given the equal circumstances or the same circumstances that person was given, life would be different when the reality is life isn't fair. And thankfully, what we're going to see as we jump into this is that life isn't fair in the realm of the kingdom, okay? Because fairness in reality is only fair based upon your circumstances or situations you're in. You classify fairness based upon where you're at and somebody else may classify fairness based upon where they're at. Fairness is a personal thing. Fairness is a identity thing that we begin to take in and understand. And so today's parable shows us that life is fair in the kingdom and you aren't entitled to anything. I hope you get that picture. 
There is an entitlement mentality that has crept into the church that we are owed something by God because we have served him so long or gone to church for so long that he owes us more than everybody else. And this parable comes in to go, hey, hold on just a second. Wait a second. Listen to what I have to say because here's the big picture of what's going on. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's generosity and grace is not earned but given. God's generosity and grace is not earned but given. And this contradicts a lot of stuff that goes on. We, it's like we have to earn God's goodness. We have to earn God's acceptance. We have to earn God's ability to pour out blessings. And God says, look, I'm gonna be just as gracious to you as I am to everybody else. Now, all of this has to do with the salvation standpoint. And so God's generosity and grace is not earned but given. And so we're gonna learn a couple of lessons today. And I'm gonna just go kind of verse by verse as we unpack this. And and we're gonna answer this question. What are some lessons that I can learn in this parable? And so what we're gonna do and see is this first lesson we can see is that God is constantly at work showing his grace. God is constantly at work showing his grace. And listen to what he says again in verses one through seven. And, and, and I'm not gonna read all of it, but listen to what's going on. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Here's the picture of what would be going on in the disciples' mindset and in the, the people in that world would have known, all right? Early in the morning meant 6 a.m. They started the workday at 6 a.m. They got off at 6 p.m. It was about 12-hour workday. For those of you who are Americans and we run about 40 hours, they work six days a week. And then you had the Sabbath off. So they're working 12-hour days, six days a week, which roughly comes out to about 70 hours a week, if you figure that out. These guys who didn't have a money, in other words, maybe they weren't a blacksmith or they weren't a tanner or whatever, they weren't a baker, whatever they did, these people would go into the marketplace that didn't have a job and they would stand in an area. The, the area was known and the people who owned fields and, and vineyards and stuff like that would come in when they needed people to work and they would look for these people and they would take them out to their field and then they would pay them a day's wage, which was a denarius. So here's the reality of what we're seeing. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went into the marketplace to find workers to work his vineyard. He's laying this picture out. So the landowner would be God. The workers would be the people of the world. And he's gonna begin to teach us this lesson. And this lesson, first of all, is this, that God is constantly at work to show his grace. The landowner goes out continually, constantly looking for people who are going to work his vineyard. He is offering a payment. He's going to pay or provide the very thing that they need. They needed to be able to live. They had to earn a living. And so the landowner is going to pay them a denarius, but he's going to teach us even greater thing to learn from that. See, because he went out at 6 a.m., but he didn't stop pursuing, did he? He's constantly working. He's continually pursuing a relationship with those who don't understand who Jesus is, who don't understand God's grace. He goes out at 9 a.m. He goes out at noon. He goes out at 3 p.m. And then listen to this. I love this point. He goes out at what? We're an hour away. What, what do you feel like when you're an hour away from getting off work? Yeah, it's like almost done. Hold on, hang in there. He goes out and he finds some people in the last hour. Jesus is constantly pursuing people, period. 
The church should be constantly pursuing relationships with people to point them to Jesus Christ. Why? Because it sounds crazy, but the harvest is obviously very plentiful. Look at this truth that we can see. If he's going out consistently over and over and over again, every three hours to hire workers, what does that mean about the harvest? It's a big harvest. There is a massive harvest taking place and he went out at 6 a.m., 9, noon, 3, and again at 5 because why? The harvest is plentiful. He's got a massive harvest of grapes that he has to take in and he wants to reap the benefit of that harvest. And in order to reap the benefit of the harvest, it has to be harvested. And so God is showing he's constantly at work to show his grace to those who never have acknowledged him, who don't know what's going on. As a matter of fact, I wanna unpack this just a little bit more because it might sound crazy, but it's obviously very plentiful for the landowner to go out over and over and over again to be finding workers. I mean, my mindset would be this. I don't have time to go out and look for workers. What am I gonna do? It will work. When the reality is what he sees is, here's what I need to do. I've gotta go get workers. The more workers I get, the more harvest I reap. The more people who work, the more harvest we reap. And here's, listen to what Matthew chapter 9, if we were to jump back, says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God's trying to teach us something here, and that is that he is constantly at work trying to show his grace. And I believe that that is something that God is showing day in and day out. He is still at work in and amongst not just his people, but he is working around his people, even when, listen, his people, maybe the church, are not about the harvest. Do you get the picture of what's going on? God is constantly at work. The harvest is plentiful. God is working, God is working, God is working, even when the church may not be working, but God is constantly trying to show his grace to those who don't understand, and yet the church needs to be about the harvest. So we begin to see this, that God is constantly at work to show his grace. See, those who didn't have a job would go to the marketplace. They would go to the marketplace, why? Because they were trying to find a job and the landowner knew where to go to find the people who needed a job. And so God's trying to show his grace. The point of the parable is to show that he is gracious and loving, he will provide, he will take care of, he will meet the needs. That's the big picture of what we're beginning to see and that God is looking, listen, God is looking for people who are going to work his vineyard as well. And so here's the big picture I would even say is this, that God wants to show his grace to the workers. As a result of showing the grace, he calls others into the field to work. So there are really twofold things that we're kind of learning there, that God's grace or God is constantly working to show his grace, number one. Number two, God is looking for people who are willing to work the harvest. All right, we'll look and see those, those things played out. But that's not the main point. The, the main point is not God looking for workers of the harvest. The main point is that God is trying to show his grace through this parable. He wants them to see that it's not an entitlement basis. Matter of fact, the, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we begin to see what Jesus' point is, what Jesus' goal is. His goal is that people can experience his God's grace grace or experience his grace. So God's generosity and grace is not earned, but is given. Okay. So that's point number one. If we understand that God's generosity and grace is not earned, but given, the lesson learned is that God is constantly at work 
to show his grace. Lesson number two is this, that Jesus brings purpose to life. Listen to what he says as he follows along, all right? He agreed to pay them the denarius. So the first group he finds, he agrees to pay them a day wage. In that day's wage, they're going to be provided for. It's what you would make. There was, there was no grumbling about it at that time, was there? You know, they didn't say, well, you know what? We're going to hold out and negotiate. That's not enough. He agreed to pay them the day's wage. What everybody was expecting in payment, he agrees to pay him. So he agrees to pay him the day's wage. And it says about the third hour he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing what? Nothing. And then in the end of verse six, he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Listen to what Jesus offers. In in the midst of everything that goes on in life, Jesus always brings purpose to life. Jesus tries to say, look, you are of value. You are of importance. As a matter of fact, this is something we should stand on as Christians. It's not just a race thing. It's not just a religion thing that we should look at every individual who is created as created by God and they have value and purpose, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They are a person of value. They are a person of purpose. They, have a per- they are a person that has great meaning to God. Why? Because God created them. That's the very simple thing we have to begin to understand. I believe one of the biggest struggles we have in culture today is we don't value people. That's why we look at people the way we do. If you have a race problem, in other words, if you are a racist or you say that there is a superior race, you miss out on what God says in the first place. You don't understand God's creation. You don't understand Jesus Christ. You've got a problem. The problem is a heart problem. It's a hate issue. Jesus says, I created all people. He didn't say I created white people. I created everybody in my image. And I'll be honest with you, the people who are racist, the people that I've seen to make comments about stuff and online and like white people are superior, they're gonna be blown away when they don't get to heaven and they stand before a Jewish savior who looks Middle Eastern and says, away from me, I never knew you. Because all of their life, they have contributed to a false religion that says a certain race is superior. Jesus did not die on the cross for only white people to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for everybody to be saved. So we can go to that. Jesus brings purpose to life. I'm gonna hit the other political thing. Jesus brings purpose to life even to one that's unborn. Why? Because that child has value. I don't care where you're at politically, but the fact of the matter remains that according to scripture, the minute a baby is conceived, that person, that is a person. One of the biggest problems we have in society today is the fact that we do not value life. Period. I don't care what side of the political persuasion you're on, the value of life has gone down. It is tanked. And it appalls me. Jesus comes to bring purpose to life. Listen, they were most likely, these people who are, are, are standing in the marketplace, <clears throat> they're not rich. They're most likely poor. They're not educated. They can't find a job. They might've been the outcasts of culture. They could have been people who had 
you know, maybe mental disorders. They could have been people who were physically handicapped. They could have been just people who were poor. They could have been people who were criminals. They were outcasts. They were all kinds of, it could have been Gentiles in the Jewish culture. There's all of these things that play out. They were people who did not have a job. And Jesus goes into the marketplace to the people who need a job. And he says, I'm here to provide for you. I'm gonna bring purpose to life. Why? Because you've been doing Nothing. You are standing here doing nothing, and now I am offering you something that is value. The value is I come to offer you life, and that's the big picture of where he's going to get to. See, Jesus brings purpose to life. These people didn't have a job. They had no way to provide, and I want you to understand this. If, 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 if you understand the big picture, Rick Warren says it this way. You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. See, Jesus brings purpose to life. I have value, I have meaning, I have purpose, regardless of what I do as a job, regardless of how much I make. I have value, I have purpose, I have meaning. Regardless of the addictions you deal with or the sins you had in the past, you have value, purpose, and meaning. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Regardless of the sins I face, regardless of the past I've done, God wants you to know that he is pursuing you, that he loves you, that he wants to provide for you, and he extends his grace to all, regardless of how long or short they've been a follower. That's the big thing. Regardless of how long or short they've been a follower. And so by dealing generously with a group of people that no other, listen, no other person in town considered worth the trouble of hiring, the landowner has made a clear declaration about their value and worth. That is the big picture. Nobody else in town hired these people, did they? They were outcasts. They were people who were no value for most other people. And God shows up and says, no, 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 you're of value to me. You have purpose. You have meaning. I bring value and purpose and meaning to life. And so when we begin to understand that, we begin to see the big picture. And I love how he plays it out. He went out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day? Do these people want a job? If they didn't want a job, what would have happened? They'd be like, I'm out of here. They just stood there for 11 hours, waiting, hoping somebody would show up to point them, to give them some hope. 11 hours, can you imagine? 11 hours, heck no, man. If I went somewhere, they said, hey, show up, you know, downtown Independence, be there at 6 a.m. If I showed up at 6 a.m., by 9 a.m., nobody hired me, I'm like, I'm going home, I got better things to do. I mean, how many people would stand around till five o'clock at night waiting for somebody to hire them? And I guarantee you, if by noon I wasn't hired, I'd be like, well, heck, the workday's almost done. Might as well go home. These people waited around, waiting, holding on, hoping that somebody was going to come and hire them away from them. And he said to them, you also go and work in in my vineyard. Now, here's the big thing. Regardless of time, Jesus is constantly pursuing him. Jesus is bringing purpose to life. It doesn't matter if it's on the deathbed. It doesn't matter if it's three years before they die. It doesn't matter if you did it when you were five years old and you put your faith and trust in Christ. Jesus brings purpose and value to life, but he's trying to teach us a bigger picture. He's trying to let us see something bigger, that the last workers are not the least. The last workers are not the least but they are just as equal 
And they have just as much purpose as anybody else. So let's, let's read, let's follow along verses eight through 16. And let's, let's kind of look at this end thing. Listen to what he says. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now this is gonna create a little bit of frustration because if I'm the first one hired, I wanna be the first one paid and I wanna get the heck out of Dodge. No offense, right? I mean, put this into modern day perspective. I was hired first, I deserve pay first. You know, they only worked an hour, they can wait a little longer while I get my pay and I can get on the road. But what does he say first? Well, let's pay the last ones first and the first ones last. And I believe it's here to teach us a lesson. He's trying to show a bigger picture. He wants people to see how an entitlement mentality can creep into everything that goes on. So he says, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and they received, what did they receive? A denarius. Now, wait a second, that's not fair. They only worked an hour. And this is where we're gonna get where the rubber meets the road. This is where the true heart of the individual comes out. So when those who came, those came who were hired first, listen to what he says, and I love to highlight this, they expected, they expected to receive more. Matter of fact, maybe they expected to receive 12 times more. I, I worked 12 hours, that dude only worked an hour. So man, that guy got a denarius for one hour. Do you imagine what we're gonna get? We're gonna get 12. You can see him stand in the back of the line. Bro, dude, we're gonna get 12, it's a big payday. We're gonna rake it in. 12 denarius, that's a half a month's wages in one day. So they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. Now, be honest, how many Americans would still be working their job if that's the way it went? You'd be like, you know what? You can take this job and shove it. Working nine to five, sorry. I remember watching that movie growing up, so I'm like, I remember, I remember them torturing their boss, you know, so, so, but that's exactly what would be going on. Be like, oh, the heck with that. Let's tie this dude up and let's take him out behind the woodshed. We'll show him who's in boss. I just worked 12 hours and that's exactly what they get to. Listen, each one of them also received a denarius and when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Listen to me, Christians. This is one of the biggest things that goes on in the church. Somebody steps in, they're a new believer, they start to take on and do what God has called them to do. There becomes some conflict. Well, I've been here longer than you. And what do we start to do? We grumble. We grumble against the other person, but we also grumble against God. I've been in this church 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I deserve more than they deserve. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And listen to what they said. These men who were hired last worked only an hour. And you've made them, listen, equal to us who have, been, who have bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. What are they complaining about? They got paid their denarius. That's what they agreed to. But you, you paid them equal. How dare you? How could you do that? And I love Jesus' answer, this idea. But he answered one of them. And again, there's another one I like to circle. Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
do not I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, here's the big thing that I think we have to begin to understand is that we are not entitled or superior to others. The whole point that Jesus is trying to get across is that Jesus' grace is good for one, is good for all. And there's not a time aspect on it. In other words, if I put my faith and trust in Christ at five, that I deserve more than the guy who put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the deathbed. Jesus is trying to say, that's not the way this works in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we talked about the kingdom of heaven being upside down. It's backwards compared to everything that we expect, that Jesus does this subversive idea. He turns what's normal into unnormal. He turns it upside down. And so he begins to try and teach us that we're not entitled or superior to others. That's number three. God's generosity and grace is not earned, but given. So what is the lesson learned that I am not entitled to or superior to others? I have to begin to realize that I am equal to them, that God treats me with the same fairness that he treats every other one. Here's the big picture we have to begin to understand when you see the scope and reality of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. If Jesus was fair, the reality would be this, that we get what we deserve. When it comes to God's grace, God says, my grace is good for all. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. My grace is equal whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or a Christian for five minutes. My grace is equal. And listen, life isn't fair because if life was fair, it would be you on the cross. It would be you facing the judgment apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, apart from the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So what he's trying to get us to see is we're not entitled to or superior to others. Let's be honest. When we start talking about entitlement in the younger generation, how does everybody feel? And I don't care what generation you are. If you're in your 80s, you might be looking at people who are in their 60s and going, well, they're entitled. If you're in your 60s, you're looking at people in their 40s. Well, they're entitled. The 40s, parents like me, we're looking at our kids going, well, they got an entitlement mentality. Look, I got one trophy a year. And that was if we won the championship game. We worked hard all summer to earn one trophy in baseball. Every weekend now, every weekend that we're in a tournament, you have a chance to win a trophy. Every weekend. I'm not joking. Come to my house, go up by Ethan's room. We got a a bookshelf. Last year was our first year we did competitive ball. Out of the five tournaments we did, we got trophies in three of them. And these trophies are not small. They're like off the ground. Ethan goes, we got a second place trophy that's bigger than our first place trophy. Ethan goes, man, I'm glad we didn't win the first place trophy because our roof won't hold it in. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. It's too tall. The first place trophy was like this tall, almost as tall as me. The second place trophy is this tall. You can go upstairs and look when you come to our house. It's like, this is ridiculous. We worked all summer when I was growing up for a trophy. They could win a trophy every weekend if they're good enough. Of course, we're not good enough now because we just got our tails handed to us. But... <laughs> you get the big picture of what's going on, all right? Unmet expectations. And here's the big thing that I have to begin to think. Listen to what it says. So when those came who were hired first, they expected. An expectation is an entitlement. As a wife, I feel entitled to certain actions from my husband. But listen, here's what expectations do. Expectations always set yourself up for failure. Why? Because when the person doesn't meet the expectations you have of them, what do we do? 
we're upset, we're ticked off, we're frustrated, we're mad, we're angry, we're bitter. Unmet expectations are a sense of entitlement or superiority. That's exactly what they are. An unmet expectation is a sense of entitlement or superiority. And they were definitely expecting, listen, and I can understand, man, if I went to work and I worked eight hours and I got paid the same as the one dude that got paid that that only worked an hour, I'd be like, what the heck? I'm only gonna work an hour tomorrow. If that's the way it's gonna be, now think about this. If that's the way it's gonna be, I'm only gonna work an hour tomorrow. Well, now what happens if everybody works an hour tomorrow? You don't get anything done. And listen, that's the danger right there of Christians in the church because we start to look and go, well, if that person who's only gonna be in church for a short time gets the same grace that I get, well, I might as well go out and do what I want. And I can do what I want. I can sin how I want. And at the end, I'll just come back and I'll confess to God right before I die. I won't worry about the kingdom. I won't be worrying about making disciples. Why? Because God's grace is good. But listen, Galatians says this, that you don't pursue or continue to run into sin because of God's grace. That you don't do that. And so unmet expectations are things that lead us into failure because that's the biggest disappointment. And listen, I understand this disappointment. And and listen to what they said again. These men were hired last and only worked an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now imagine thinking about that. You're working out a vineyard in Israel in the middle of the day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., working, working, working. Think about the cuts on your hands, most likely. Think about the scrapes, the the sun beating down on you. Matter of fact, I don't know, like in America, it's cool to be tan and it's not cool to be white, all right? In in that culture, I'm just going to tell you how this went. If you were concerned, you can go and read the book of Ruth, all right? If you were dark complected because you were working out in the field, it was a sign of poverty, not wealth. People didn't want to be dark. They wanted to be lighter colored. And we spend all our money going to tanning salons and getting dark so we can go sit on a beach or something like that. But listen, the big point of this picture is this. You made them equal to us. That's the undefined expectation. They expected more but they didn't get it. And listen, God has the right to do what he pleases, when he pleases, with who he pleases. Why? Because he's the creator. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer of everything around us. And he is the one who paid the price through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so I love this. And I love how he answers this. And this is how we're gonna wrap up to kind of point this out. But they're mad because he's equal. But listen to how Jesus answered because I think this is the thing we have to begin to understand that God still shows his grace even though they're upset. Because listen to what he says to him. Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Listen to what he calls him. Doesn't call him an enemy. He just comes right to him and he says, friend. Now listen, one of the things we can see, and there's a song, a matter of fact, you can go home and look it up if you want to. It just popped into my mind when I was prepping the sermon, but there's a song, I don't know who originally did it. Phillips, Craig, and Dean kind of did it a lot, but it's, I am a friend of God. Um, I think Israel Houghton did it originally or somebody like that, worship leader. Um, but it's a great song. Matter of fact, 
Phenomenal song. I, I love the song. Uh, but it, they take it from the, the, the section, James chapter 2, verse 23, where it says that Abraham, uh, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness, and he was considered a friend of God. When you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are God's friend. You have a relationship with Christ. You are a friend of God. And so he's answering them. These people aren't bitter, upset unbelievers. They are bitter, upset, entitled what? Believers. And Jesus in his calmness and assurance just says, friend, I have the right. I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. And listen, Jesus has the right to do with his grace what he chooses to do. Why? Because we're all equal. We are not superior. We cannot let entitlement or superiority creep in because the minute we let entitlement and superiority creep in, we miss the bigger picture. And that's number four, that God treats us with his grace, not fairness. God treats us with his grace, not fairness. See, if God treated us with fairness, we would all be in trouble. All of us. If God treated us with fairness and we asked to be to get what we deserve, you would get what you deserve. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna unpack this just very quickly, very simply, because in verse eight, we see the landlord paying them their wage and their wage is what is earned. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That means the very thing that you and I earn. If God's gonna be fair as we wanna entitle it or title it in, in, in humanity's terms, if God's gonna be fair, then the wage of sin is death. And so in all fairness, what have you and I earned? Death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death and that's the very thing we earn, but God tries to show us his grace and mercy over and over and over again by giving us this, the gift of God. And I, I always said this to my teenagers. I continue to say this to this day. If you get offended, I'm sorry, but the biggest but in the Bible is but in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. That's the simple act of grace. The God, the, the God that loves us, the God that gave his life for us, the very gift of God is eternal life. See, we don't get what we deserve. We get what God earned. And that's the big picture that we have to begin to see. We don't get what we deserve. Why? Because life isn't fair. Jesus took on, a matter of fact, Jesus is the one that's fair. Jesus took on what we couldn't take on. Jesus became what we couldn't become so that we could have a life that exists, a life of purpose, a life of meaning. And listen, the truth to be learned and applied is this, that the generosity of God overwhelms everything. And so we usually see the other side, the side of fairness and entitlement so that so many people have, but it's just not fair. Because if it was fair, God would have left us to fend on our own. But he didn't. Matter of fact, Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, says this, grace is inviting to the unrighteous and threatening to the self-righteous. 
See, when we become self-righteous and think it's about us, when we become entitled, we get upset about what's going on, then we begin to have this self-righteous mentality that makes it all about us. And remember what I said about this, the king and his kingdom. All throughout scripture, God is trying to build us and show us his kingdom. And all throughout scripture, we see mankind trying to what? Usurp God's authority and build their own kingdom over and over and over again. They try and build things up, bam, slam down. They build it up, bam, slam down. Every time it's about man's kingdom. And that is no different than what we see in our lives each and every day. We strive and we work to build our own personal kingdom when God is trying to say, it is about me and it is about my kingdom. And so Matthew just simply points that out, that the point of this parable is to show that the landowner was fair in the way he dealt with the workers for the harvest, that he was very generous and that the grace of God exceeds everything because God's generosity and grace is not earned, but given freely. It is a gift that must be accepted. And that's the truth that we see in Matthew. So I want to encourage you as we wrap up with this, next week we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24. And I know that there's a lot of things that go on in the world today. Um, We're going to wrap up this this King and the Kingdom series uh, with this. We're going to look just simply kind of at the end of the kingdom here. All right. Jesus points it out very simply, very effectively. I'm not going to unpack a lot. (laughs) We could go into a whole sermon series and we may do that in the future, but we're not going to do that now. But I want you, I want to challenge you with this, that we as a church, we as people would not act as entitled people, that we would see the need and necessity to see people come to Christ. Because listen to me, here's the big thing that I love about this, because here's how he wraps it up. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. If you read the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, it just says that Jesus was hung between two thieves. But if you read the gospel of Luke, there's an interaction that takes place between the two thieves and Jesus. And the beauty of that is this. Jesus uses this parable to point to the end that those who believe in Jesus, regardless of the time that they put their faith and trust in Jesus, are equal to everybody else, regardless of their past. Jesus is a a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of love. And so the beauty in the gospel of Mark is this, that when the thief, one thief is, is just unrelenting on Jesus, has nothing good to say. And the other thief looks at Jesus and he says, hey, today I I believe, I want to be with you. And Jesus, what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, the promise is this, that Jesus' grace is a gift for any who put their faith and trust in Christ. And we cannot, as believers, become superior or entitled because we've been believers longer than somebody else. Our goal is, if we take the great commission personally is this, to go and make disciples, period. That's the goal. The church is a multiplying church. We should be multiplying disciples. We should be multiplying churches. And so our goal is that, that we take the grace and truth of Jesus Christ to everybody, regardless of their past. Let's pray. Father, there's so much more that can be said about entitlement to about a superiority complex, about 
the idea that I am owed something, but God, we also know that your grace is sufficient for all. And that your grace is a gift that anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so God, I pray that we would begin to understand that if there's somebody here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ, they can do that today just simply by doing that. They confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. But God, as we close with the song, I pray that we would be dealt with, we would be convicted of sin, maybe a superiority complex, an entitlement that God owes me something more than anybody else. And God, I pray that we would begin to see how we're called to work in the vineyard and how you are a just God. So I pray today, God, that we would understand that, that the truth of the gospel would be planted in our heart. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.